You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. Well, this morning is a big Sunday in the life of our church. Vintage Church was planted Easter 2011. And this is probably one of the biggest Sundays. And if you're a guest here this morning, congratulations, although it may be a bit odd for you. And that is because this Sunday is Pledge Sunday. Pledge Sunday. We've never done a Pledge Sunday before because this is a unique moment in the life of our church. For the last six weeks, we've been journeying through what we call a time of renewal, where we've sensed that God is asking us as a family as a church, to invest in what he's doing through our church for the sake of the city, renewing our city in the name of Jesus. And so we've been huddling midweek to hear kind of what we are planning to do to our facilities, to our building, to expand them, to restore them, to fix them up, so that we're ready for all that God has for us in this next season. And I want to say thank you to all those who've gathered midweek We've had over, I've had over 30 smaller huddles where I've met with 30 or so groups to share the vision, to get some feedback, to talk together. And I want to say thank you to Greg Gibbs and Savannah who have organized all of that the last, um, the last couple of months. I also want to say thank you to my wife, Lizzie, and Sam's in youth because I counted that the last 30 days I've been out in the evenings for 26 evenings. And so as I've gathered in the smaller meetings, and so I want to thank them for giving me in that season to this project, to this season. And we're coming to the end, and this morning we are going to look at Pledge Sunday at three questions. As we come to give our gifts to the Lord, as we look to, Lord, use us. Here's how I want to financially give into this initiative. I want to ask, ask three questions. First of all, why vintage? What's next? And how can we play a meaningful part in what God is doing? But to summarize and to recap, firstly, why are we here? Why vintage? In 2011, Lizzie and I or 2010, Lizzie and I were planning to move to LA. We never thought of LA. We never thought we'd live in Los Angeles. But we were praying and felt God call us out here through various different ways to join with a couple of people, Amy Ho down here as well on my left here, to join with a few people to go, God is calling us to start this new church. And when Lizzie and I were playing, really God, are you calling us? We did two things. We thought to ourselves, Lord, what is it that this church is about? And then we also thought, Lord, but how on earth are we as a family going to cope? Three kids moving to the big city of LA. And we were warned by many people in North Carolina, don't go to Los Angeles. And so I found this, I found this piece of paper this last week as I was clearing out my office. And it's a little kind of pro and con list from my wife at the time of discerning whether we should move to kind of the big bad Los Angeles or stay in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it's so funny because the benefits of staying in Raleigh, literally, benefits of Raleigh here, and maybe you've thought of that, benefits of Nashville or something like that. And it says affordable, the ease of culture, a car, it's like the luxury. Um, we have a house in Raleigh. And so all of these basically, oh, it's easy. 
And then her prayer list of Los Angeles, I mean, she aimed super low. I love my wife. It's like going, Lord, we've got three kids. It literally, it'd be great to have two bedrooms, which would be amazing. It'd be great to have literally down here a car that fits everyone, which is like, that's good. It'd be great if, I love this, it'd be great if we were safe in Los Angeles. It was this kind of, Lord, can we eat if we go to Los Angeles? But there was this feeling of, Lord, this is a big effort. This is, oh my word, what are we getting ourselves in for? But at the heart of it was also, God, what is this church that you're calling us to come alongside a few others, Amy and others, to help start here in Los Angeles? And I want to turn to a passage of the Bible, which I think has become the foundational text, certainly for the life of vintage up until now. It's the roadmap which describes a church of Jesus Christ in a pluralistic, secular city. It occurs in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, where we discover Paul starting a new church in a city just like Los Angeles. Pluralistic, secular, a leading city of entertainment and culture. And what we see, there are five words that summarize the type of church that Paul starts. These five words summarize who we are. Mission, family, word, spirit, formation. Mission, family, word, spirit, formation. We begin with vintage is mission. We exist for the sake of others. We exist for the renewal of our city. We didn't come here for the palm trees. We didn't come here for the sun. We didn't come here for the 405. We we came because God has called us to be missionaries in the city. We see this is what, what Paul was called to as well in Acts chapter 16. Before we look at the passage together, just a bit of background, Paul is traveling around Asia Minor strengthening and encouraging the churches that he'd already started. He wanted to visit them, them again and encourage them. But in his travels, it says the Holy Spirit was stopping him going where he thought he was supposed to go. And so he's in limbo waiting for some direction from God as to where he should go. And we'll pick it up in verse 9 of chapter 16. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul is waiting, maybe having a cup of tea in the morning, just chilling out in the courtyard, and suddenly has a vision, quite an emotionally traumatic vision of a man from the leading Greek city of the time, the leading, the center of global culture, politics, government, probably even fashion, entertainment. This was a city and a, cult, a country that seemed to have it all together. They were the culture that everybody else wanted to be. And yet, despite the culture, despite the riches, despite the leisure, pleasure, treasure of being in Greek society, that Paul saw this man who clearly looked Greek, clearly looked like he had it all together, but he was what? He was begging for help. Begging for help. 
That no matter the leisure, no matter the treasure, no matter the pleasure, that these things may have been good but did not satisfy who we were created to be into an intimate relationship with Jesus. And so the cry of their heart was, please help us. When God called us to join with you here in Los Angeles, we equally felt the pain and the painful cry of our city that we can stuff our souls in this city with all the riches of a global city like Los Angeles and all the pleasures of a global city, all the entertainment and all of the whatever we do to fill our souls here. And yet we could sense the cries of pain, that this is not the answer. We were created for something more. And so Paul, in response to this highly traumatizing kind of image said at once, at once we left for Macedonia. That Paul went to Philippi not for the culture, not for the food, but he was a missionary to bring the good news of Jesus to a city crying out for help. You see, I don't know what brought you to the city. Maybe you were born here. Maybe you were brought here. Maybe you're chasing a dream or chasing a someone. Either way, God had a bigger plan for you to bring you here. As Paul was brought to Philippi, you've been brought to Los Angeles to be his people for such a time as this, to bring the good news of Jesus to a city begging for help. First and foremost, you're a missionary. We are urban missionaries in this city. And there's no greater joy, there's no greater satisfaction, there's no greater meaning than being sent by God with the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness that desperately needs it. I know it's more comfortable to take the light to where the light already is, but that is not the people of God called to be salt and light in a city where people are desperate for Jesus, even if they don't know it's Jesus they're desperate for. Lizzie and I, I think over the years, we look back and go, I think God formed us and trained us to be urban missionaries in Los Angeles. We kind of feel we were made for this. We've got kids from all around the world, born in different countries, so we're very much a global family. And yet, at the same time, we also know what it's like to know Jesus and desperately want others to know him. My wife was raised in generally a non-Christian environment, and when she heard about Jesus, really for the first time, at the hair salon, where the hairstylist told her about Jesus, captive audience, I love it, she went home and prayed this prayer that this hairstylist suggested and Lizzie, my wife, had an encounter with Jesus. She found him to be true that everything this lady has said is true and she went downstairs and in her beautiful, young Christian naivete said to her mom and dad, look, we've got to tell people about Jesus. I just didn't know. So literally it said to her parents, look, Here's the street, we know everyone. Look, I'll take the left hand of the street, you take the left, the right hand, and let's go, let's tell everyone. Because this is, this is good news. We gotta tell people. My background is different. I was raised in a Christian family, but in a very non-Christian culture. And always loved 
the push and pull, the loving wrestle with those who don't believe in Jesus to, to kind of help them discover the things of Jesus, to live a missional life in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, in our colleges, to be that Christian minority where you feel my faith is alive because I, I need Jesus every day. I remember it rang true so much that we are urban missionaries wherever God has placed us. Remember when I took a job, we got married in 2000 and I took a job pretty quickly and we moved to Switzerland for this new job and the first day I walked into this company, it was a big American company in Geneva, and the floor where I was gonna work was this huge open plan concept room with about 200 people all divided into kind of nations so every market was represented for the product that we were making. And so I was in the UK section, but everyone had their own cubicles. And I remember just working away, didn't really know many people yet, but obviously this is Europe, very secular, very atheistic culture and didn't really know many people yet. And so one day I was working away and this guy kind of, I caught and he came up to me and like tapped me on the shoulder. And I looked around and I kind of never seen him before, but I knew kind of he was from the German team down the road there, down the corridor. And he leant in and I said, hi. He said, hi. And he said, I hear you are one of us. <laughs> I guess, uh... No, um, I'm in the UK team, and he goes, no, 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 no. You worship the king, yeah? <laughs> and, and I go, uh, oh, yes, 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 no, I, I, am a, I am a Christian, yes. And then he leads it even closer and goes, we are not alone. This is serious. And this is, I went, really? He went, yeah, look. And I looked up over the cubicle. And just at that time, this other man from across the room went. <laughs> this guy was called Siegbert, who became a great friend with his wife, Isabel. Justin was across the other end of the room working on the Belgium, the Benelux team. And we were the three Christians on our floor. And we'd meet together, became great friends. We'd meet together every week for lunch and pray and say, Jesus, how can we be salt and light as missionaries in this company? How can we be who you call us to be in this place? And there's nothing more joyful and invigorating than being God's salt and light in a community. And when vintage was started, it's because whether you've been born here or brought here, we are urban missionaries here in the city. For the renewal of our city, that this city begging for help, doesn't know it's Jesus, but to help them discover him. Spiritually, socially, culturally, to see the city healed in the name of Jesus. That's why we do things here like Alpha, invite people to come and join. Um, why we have mission partners. We join with mission partners, Salvation Army, Harvest Home, Clara's Health, Compton Initiative, to join with others that we can actually love our city. So we're planting new churches. We've planted Pasadena, Malibu, South Bay is, about, is in the works. We're looking at also downtown. I'm something passionate in my heart. How do we be urban mis missionaries, particularly in the marketplace? And so we're starting a new course this fall called The Missional Life, written by our friend John Tyson over in New York. 
of how to be an urban missionary in our context. Vintage is mission. But secondly, vintage is family. Vintage is family. There's an amazing passage here where Paul writes in verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, it says, we got ready at once. We got ready at once. Well, this is different to everything that's preceded Acts chapter 16 because up until now it's describing what Paul is doing and suddenly in verse 10 of chapter 16, it's we. In other words, the author of the book, Luke, Dr. Luke, decided at that point, Paul, I'm gonna join the team. We're doing this together. And so Luke joined with the other group to go and do this together. Being urban missionaries in the city is not a solo job. That this is why Paul planted, started new communities, because it takes a church of Jesus Christ to renew the city, spiritually and in every other way. We cannot, we cannot do this alone. When we started out here, we had a very young team, very small team. In fact, there was probably three of us, and they're all in the front row over here, my wife and Amy Ho. But it was just the beginning, and we've had people join the team and then move away, as LA is a transient city, and now many of you have joined the team. Because God assembles his people that we can all bring our gifts, we can all bring encouragement and support and help, that we can build each other up, cry with each other in times of disappointment, call each other out where, I, where generally I need correction, where we can journey together and be the body of Christ in the city. We can't do it alone. And what I'm so excited by, and I kinda wanna call out this morning to celebrate everyone in this church that makes this church happen. That it's not, I am kind of in the body of Christ, I'm kind of like the little pinky. I get just to speak on Sundays. But the rest of the body, is so vibrant and doing such amazing work. I mean, talk about our Vika's team. How amazing are they every week pouring into all the parents here, also helping singles, pouring into our kids, pouring into then our youth. Ruth leading us across mission across the whole city with Salvation Army and others. Kira leading us in prayer and worshiping Kingdom Comes. Johnny forming all these groups, these friend groups across the city. Hospitality teams on Sunday, church planting. It's, it's, we're all in this together. And then finally, just the, the care and support that we can give to each other. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could still be in the city if it wasn't for the family of God. I know we wouldn't still be here. The joy of being family. We've always said as a family, as a church, when we came, sorry, as a family, when we came to LA, we're desperate to see a church, I think it's on the screen here, that's an all-age family. That every age is represented. We're a family. We're not just here for a church for singles, not just here for marrieds, not just here for entertainment. We're here for the whole person, every age. Diverse community. Lizzie and I long to celebrate the diversity of the kingdom of God. Every economic and every skin color and every background that we are one family. And I'm so proud of Johnny in friend groups. We've, I think he's grown friend groups from about three friend groups to about 20,000, it seems like. He's just multiplying friend groups across the city. And that's not, see, friendship is not, oh, just meet a friend. No, friendship is the greenhouse for the kingdom of God to grow. 
And that's why they're called friend groups, because when we connect with friends, make friends out of people different to us because we share Jesus in common, we can grow together. Women's Bible Study's just finished. It's been phenomenal for friendship and community, Alpha Course, Rooted Course, all these things. We're a family, and we're here for each other. And then thirdly, vintage is not just mission, it's not just family, but we push into three aspects of the kingdom of God, which we see here outlined in the passage. Word, spirit, formation. That God says to be the people of God, a people of the word of God, a people of the spirit of God, and a people formed into Christ-likeness. And we see in this passage in Acts chapter 16 something really fascinating. Paul arrives in the city of Philippi, and Luke says, I'm going to tell you three stories of what happens when Luke hits Philippi. In fact, he says, look, we're going to isolate three people who come to know Jesus, and they're all reached differently. One person, it's through the words of the gospel. One person, it's through a power encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the third person is transformed by the compelling nature of a people who look like Jesus, formed into Christ-likeness. The first is a lady called Lydia. Paul says that the first conversion is a lady who was a God-fearing lady and he explained the gospel to her and she believed. Let's pick it up in verse 13. It says this, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, which means she wasn't a Jewish believer. She was a non-Jew investigating spirituality. How LA is that? She was a worshiper of God, so not a convert, just like seeking. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And she became a Christian. She became a Jesus follower. It's because she, in her spiritual search, found someone who could help her answer her questions about Jesus, found a compelling narrative to who he is. Imagine being in the context of Greek culture, which was a very pluralistic, idols everywhere, gods everywhere. So you can imagine her questions of, what, is Jesus just another god? Or, are we all gods? Or, hey, how, how exclusive to say that all these other gods are wrong and Jesus is right. I mean, you can imagine her questions. Very similar to the questions of our city. And Paul sat with her and explained things to her in such a way that she went, I think this is true. We are a people of the word, a people of the truth of Jesus Christ, that we can actually explain it in a way that actually comes across to people with all questions of, huh, well, it makes sense. That there's a f foundation to our faith, there's reason to our faith, there's thoughtfulness to our faith. It's not anti-scientific, it's not anti-intellectual, it's not implausible. Actually, when you look at Jesus, when you look at the narrative of what he said, it actually stacks up. When you look at his resurrection, it kind of rings true that actually this is not only plausible, but could it also be good and beautiful and true? We're living in a context where the missional task in Los Angeles is different to what it used to be 20 years ago, where 20 years ago, church was a bit boring, church was a bit irrelevant, and people would look at Christianity and go, oh, you're so dull and boring. So guess what? In response, 
we stopped being dull and boring. We got like celebrity churches and mega churches and lights and all the show stuff going. And people went, wow, this is amazing. It's just like being, it's kind of, you're kind of just like us, the city would say. And that's a problem. The city are crying out for something not just like them. And now actually the challenge is different. The challenge is not about style. The challenge is about substance. The challenge is actually, hang on, how could you actually believe what you believe? In a tolerant age, how can you actually believe that it's good for someone to change their belief to follow Jesus? How could Jesus be the only way? Why do I need Jesus if I already have a relationship with God through other means? These are really good questions. And as a church, we have the opportunity to show people the compelling intellectual, scientific, and sociological argument for Jesus. Every Alpha course, we invite people to explore Jesus. Three times a year, we run Alpha. And my best part of Alpha, my favorite part of Alpha, is every evening we do four things. We eat together, listen to a short talk about Jesus and faith, we then discuss it in small groups, and then at nine o'clock, we go, there's the pub. We have the pub next door. I'm British, there's always a pub. But if you don't want to go to the pub, you can join me in a different room at nine o'clock, and it's called Q&R with Gare. Question and response. I don't have all the answers, so it's not Q&A. Question and response. And we have this little basket down there, and people can take an index card and write down any question. And I, for about an hour, we have an amazing Q&R time where people can ask anything. You know, the, these are some of the questions from last week. You know, isn't it arrogant to suggest that Jesus is the only way? Great, awesome question. How could a loving God kill the firstborn children of Egypt in the Old Testament? Great question. Can I follow Jesus and also still follow tarot cards? Great question. Isn't prayer another version of manifestation? Great questions. Aren't these awesome? And we get to discuss with people who are wrestling with the things of Jesus, does it all add up? We have an opportunity to be what I call in our church missionary theologians, where we can show the compelling truth of Jesus Christ in the midst of a pluralistic society. It's why we do Alpha. It's why in the fall we're hoping to do Q&Rs on Sundays as well, like after the Sunday sermon, after the Sunday service. I'll be next door or somewhere. Again, just Q&R with me. And then we're also looking to train you all to be missionary theologians, where you can also grow in how do I help my friends who go, isn't Genesis 1 like completely unscientific? Don't I have to be, kind of abandon my intellect to become a Christian? that you can answer these things. Because this is what it means to be a missionary in our city. But the second story of conversion is nothing to do with someone with a thoughtful, reasoned explanation of faith. Paul meets Lydia, she becomes a Christian, but then Paul meets someone else, a slave girl. She didn't need an intellectual conversation about Jesus. She needed the power of Jesus to free her. And look what happened as we read it in verse 15 or 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, 
We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, get out. At that moment, the spirit left her. And the story goes on, she became a Jesus follower. So when you come into a city like Los Angeles, the gospel can't just come with words. It must also come with power. To break through into people's need. Not to do kind of showmanship. Jesus never used his power simply to show off. He only used his power to love people, to set them free, to heal them. And whenever we go into a city, we cannot just go with words. We also must go with gospel power, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And whether you're used to that, cautious of that, like I've been over the years, it's unavoidable. For the sake of the city, we need to come with the love of Jesus Christ demonstrated in power to heal, to set people free. And so over the years, we've seen stories in our church of people being healed. We've seen stories of prophetic dreams and visions and people having words of knowledge and people having divine encounters. It's just like, wow, the Holy Spirit is on the move in our community. In fact, Lizzie and I are probably still in Los Angeles because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And after a few months of being here in LA, Lizzie and I were kind of nervous about raising our children in LA. We'd been warned by North Carolina, pretty much, not to bring your kids to Los Angeles. You know, it will not go well for your kids. And having been here a couple of weeks, we weren't feeling super confident. In fact, there was a bit of fear about what is this going to do to our children? And Jesus, we don't want our children to suffer because of following you. It just so happened at that time that we were going to go to a Christian conference somewhere and we went, didn't really know that many people. And when we were there in one of the worship times, a person came up to us and kind of tapped us on the shoulder and said, hey, um, I just, I don't know if you're new to this, but I felt as we were worshiping, I saw you and God kind of, I think, gave me an encouragement for you. And I don't know if that's kind of, this person was very humble and gentle. I don't know if that's new to you. And it's just like, dude, I was raised in a crazy charismatic environment. It's okay. I can swan dive in the spirit with the best of them. <laughs> and he said, great. So he then said, it's also very detailed. I feel God has given me really specific details because it's a really important encouragement for you. And I won't go into all of things, but I'm a cynic by nature. I'm kind of like, Google, you could have Googled all this. But he knew our names, he knew our kids' names, he knew what their personalities were. He actually started to talk about things that he would never have known because they were secrets for my wife and I. And it wasn't spooky, it was just like, he was very humble about it because God has given me specific these details because I think he really wants you to believe that this encouragement I'm about to say also is from God. And he said, I believe, I kind of sense you've just moved to a new city and you are really fearful about your kids. And he says, I just feel God wants you to know that he has moved you to Los Angeles 
for the sake of your children, that they may grow in their faith, that, that they may be alive in Jesus, that you think they're going to act like you're dragging them, but actually the reason why you guys are there is for the sake of your kids, that he will take care of them and he will see them come into all that he has for them because they're in Los Angeles, not despite it. Well, you can imagine, Lizzie and I, floods of tears, <laughs> need a beach towel to wipe up the tears on the floor. But just that became this Holy Spirit moment of this anchor for our faith. The anchor that God's got us, that over the last 10 years of raising children here, there's been moments where it's like, oh my gosh, what are we doing in LA? And yet, there's also been this anchor of hope. No, God spoke to us. That we are here and God promises to take care of our kids. And we've seen that fulfilled. We've seen through the church, actually, through the amazing friendships our kids have had with the church, with spiritual aunties and uncles, as we call them, amazing V-Kids ministry, amazing youth ministry, amazing mentors, that our kids are following Jesus. So much so that we know that when you raise kids in a city of an ecosystem of a church that can grow them, that they can then go into the playgrounds, not kind of with a view of losing their faith, but realizing, oh my gosh, Jesus is real. I'm discovering him every Wednesday and Sunday at church and I'm actually learning how to uphold my faith in the storms of this cultural moment that when they go to college, they don't have some kind of liberal professor just say to them, are oh, you being stupid? And they go, yes, maybe I am. They go, you've no idea what I've seen. I've faced all these questions already and I'm rooted in Jesus Christ. Not because of what my parents believed, because I have my own faith because I grew up in LA. <laughs> this is the joy of a Holy Spirit-filled community. Not only for our sake, but for the sake of the city. And then thirdly, a third person met Jesus in Acts chapter 16. And this person didn't meet Jesus because of a word spoken to them, nor did they meet Jesus because of a Holy Spirit encounter. This person met Jesus because they met people that were truly transformed like Jesus. And the way they lived, I want me some of that. The story is actually about an ex-soldier, a jailer. You see, what happens in Acts 16, after Paul frustratingly casts out a demon and this woman is set free, her bosses get really angry at Paul because she was earning a lot of money through fortune telling. And now that's stopped. So actually the town arrested Paul because we don't want him, this kind of troublemaker here. They threw him in prison. They beat him, flogged him. And then they said to this jailer, it's your job that he doesn't escape. So this jailer went, okay. So put him in the inner dungeon. Who knows what that's like? in stocks. The jailer knowing if they escape, then it's common practice that I die. I die if they escape. But two things happen. Two things happen that this jailer is compelled by Jesus. The first is this, that in the middle of the night, when they're, in dungeon, when they're in the dungeon, they're in the middle of the depth of night in prison. It says this in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And all the other prisoners were listening to them. 
In other words, everyone else in this world, including the jailer, is praising and happy when circumstances go right. Who are these people who are joyful and praising and praying when circumstances have gone wrong? Like, what is, it, what is it about these people that they can get rejected, they can go through difficulty, they can go through circumstances which are not what they were hoping for and still have a hope, still have a joy, still have security, that circumstances can go so bad that they still are buoyant and don't sink. Have you noticed in Los Angeles that we have a city that is dependent upon circumstances because they don't have the anchor of Christ as their security and their foundation. But then something else happens. An earthquake happens and the doors all fly off and the whole place is a mess and the jailer wakes up and he sees that the earthquake has pretty much destroyed the prison, it looks like, and at least all the doors are open and people can escape. So he normally, I mean, of course, naturally assumes the prisoners have run away. I would. So I'm out of here. I've been unjustly arrested. I've been tortured. I'm not going to stick around. But he knows because they've run away, I'm going to die. And so he goes, you know what? I'm gonna, I don't want to die a public death. So he goes to take his sword to kill himself. Just get this over with. And then there's this incredible verse in verse 28. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. In other words, what kind of people are you that you would sacrifice your own interests for your enemy? What kind of people are you that you would love not your own freedom, but you would love me, the torture, your own prisoner, more than your own life? You see, when the jailer had the lives of Paul and his friends in his hands, he tortured them. But when they had the life of the jailer in their hands, they loved him. Sacrificed their own interests for the interests of their enemy. So the jailer is now going, who are you? Praising God at midnight? Loving your enemy? And it says this in verse, the next verse, the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? In other words, I want your life. I want your hope. I want your security. I want whatever you have. And they led him to Jesus. So there's nothing in us, but we have been transformed by Jesus, who himself loved us as his enemies and gave his life for us. You see, a transformed people 
in Los Angeles, transformed like Jesus, a discipled people, a people formed into Christ-likeness, not just saying one thing and acting hypocritically like another, not just being dutifully like legalism, but actually being transformed from within, that we start to smell like Jesus. We start to actually do the things of Jesus. It's like we start in a consumeristic, materialistic city, we start to be more generous than the consumeristic. We start to go, we're gonna use our time, our bodies, our dreams, our careers, our homes. We're starting to do them in the way that Jesus would do them. I can tell you right now, this city will look at the people of God when they act like the people of God, when they are like Jesus, and be compelled to go, that's the life I want. That's why at Vintage, in our groups and elsewhere, we realize that as a church, we can't just be about information because that doesn't transform us. Inspiration doesn't just transform us. It's formation by practicing the ways of Jesus. As we practice the ways of Jesus together, we make space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to actually transform us into the likeness of Jesus. That's why this fall we're gonna be partnering with John Mark Comer to help run a new spiritual formation course to actually see the church. We can't just be about words. We have to also be the people of God for the sake of the city. Vintage has always been about mission. It's about family. And it's about being gospel words, gospel spirit, and gospel formation. And I believe as we enter into this new season, God has grown us so much and there's so much fruitfulness, but we're only just beginning. There is so much more in this season. I'm so excited to be in Los Angeles in 2023. As this culture is changing, as we're entering into what people call post-Christendom, as it's secular, pluralistic, where Christians increasingly are looking odd, as people, Christians are increasingly leaving the city, Man, there's no place I'd rather be than to bring light into the darkness, to love this city and see his kingdom come, his will be done in Los Angeles as it is in heaven. So that's why we are raising money, that we can transform our facility for the next season ahead. Renew it, restore it, fix it up, and expand because we're full. Our kids are full, our youth are full on Sundays that we can expand. We've got, just so you know, here's a little picture of the aerial map of our facilities here. We've got a parking lot for first time visitors. We're in the middle bit. We have a four bedroom, no, four unit apartment behind us for some of the staff. And we've got this empty building across the alley, which God is going, I want you to expand. Like make use of everything I've given you to actually make room for everybody he wants to bring in. It's gonna cost seven and a half million to do that. We've got a lot of work to do. And part of the journey of this is I've been huddling with the church over the last kind of two months has been, that seven and a half million sounds a lot, but I don't really care about the money. I'm not, I'm not a big, as you know, I always forget to do the offering. I'm not a big offering guy because I've been, I don't like the church talking about money, but that's my baggage. So anyway, but I do know this, that this, what's more important for me is not the amount, but it's all of us doing something together. That this is a family. 
that we're all in this. And whether you can be involved a little bit or a lot, what's more important is that we're all in it together. It's kind of like this window on the balcony. That the beauty of this window is not that it's uniform, but there's big pieces, small pieces, blue pieces, red pieces, yellow pieces. It's all different. But it's when the whole thing comes together, it looks so beautiful. And I think that's how God looks at these things. When the whole family joins in. Whether you're a student here going, I can probably afford about $5. Or whether it's a lot more. I'm just inviting everyone this Pledge Sunday to be involved. We're asking everybody to do two things. Think about what you can pledge, not give today, but pledge over 24 months. And over 24 months helps you pray through, what do you, God, what do you want me to give? And that's what people have been praying about up until today. And of course, it's not just over 24 months, but over and above what you'd regularly give. Otherwise, we, have to, we won't have cash to pay the electric bill. But this is an opportunity for us as a church to go, you know what? Let's do this together as a family. Let's invest in what God's given us that we can continue to see his kingdom come through us for the sake of Los Angeles. I'd love you to, on your seats to get out, uh, everyone to get out just so you can see it, this card. Even if you're a guest here today, I've got, I want to show you something on it as well. And so please do get out the card. It's either in front of you, on the seat, around you. And we're going to take a minute now to fill this in. Now, if you're going, I'm a guest, that's great. You don't have to fill it in. But what I'd invite you to do is put your name and email that we can just put you on our monthly newsletter. No spam, just monthly newsletter. Or if you go, I don't have any money to give you, that's totally fine. Just write, hey, I'm praying for you. Just write prayer or something. Or if you got some sermon feedback, just write sermon feedback, whatever it is. Um, we're going to take a minute that you can fill this in and then we're going to worship and give these cards in as an act of our worship. But let me pray before we do that. Lord, we thank you that for such a time as this, you brought us to the city. Either you, we were birthed here or we were brought here to be your people, salt and light in the city. Word, spirit formation and a family on mission. Lord, we want to play our part to invest in what you're doing. And so Lord, we pray, help us know what it is you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.